Okay, good morning, everyone. Great to be here together with you this morning. And, you know, whenever it comes to preaching the Word of God, I always have a wrestle just before actually delivering the Word. It's not because I'm not sure what I'm about to share. It's just the passion that what's the point of hearing sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon and still we remain the same. You know, someone said, do you know what madness is? Madness is doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, expecting different results. That's what madness is. And sometimes I ask myself, if we as Christians ask ourselves the number of years that we have been Christian, the number of sermons that we have listened to, the number of Bible studies we've been to, the number of conferences that we've been to, if we actually put them all into practice, where would we be? And should be this Sunday morning message also be one of those messages that listened to and that been forgotten? And if that's the case, I'll be very, very disappointed. I don't want to preach. I want to preach so that we can have an encounter with God. That we don't just come. I know I get criticized for saying that, but I'm not going to stop saying that. I don't preach for you to enjoy the preaching. I preach so that you can have an encounter with God. I preach so that you be challenged. I preach that you feel convicted. I, feel, I preach that I want you to go home and do something about it. And I say the same thing to myself. So this morning, my prayer is that whatever we hear, that God will speak to you into your heart that God will touch your heart deep inside, that he will reach out and put his hand deep into your mind, into your heart, and then he will touch something that's been there that needs to be touched, and that he needs to just turn it and trigger it and do something with it. And then when you leave this place, that you go home feeling that something happened in my spirit, and I cannot remain the same way I have been all this time. If that doesn't happen, my friends, that there is no difference between us and the rest of the world out there. If you want motivational talk, don't listen to me. Go home and then turn on your YouTube and go to TED Talk. You can listen to hundreds and thousands of professional motivational speakers can give you lots of stuff. But what I'm about to share this morning is not about motivational. It's about the Word of God that has the power to change you from inside out. So that's my prayer this morning. So I'm going to ask this morning with a question. I'm going to ask you a question. If what is the most powerful tool or a thing that we all human beings possess? Do you know what is one of the most powerful things that we all possess? It's our mind. Our mind is a very, very powerful instrument, very, very powerful tool. Do you know there were three men, I give you their names, Stalin, Hitler, Mao. These three men were responsible for killing nearly 200 million people. Not one, not two, not three, not hundred, not thousand. Nearly 200 million people were murdered by these three men and their policies and because of their ruling. 
Do you know what was behind that? Their minds. What they thought. What they believed. It what made them. So this morning, we all possess a powerful tool. Whether we use it positively or negatively, it's up to us. Or we can just let it just sit there and not really use it. What does the Bible have anything to say about mind? You know, the world talks quite a lot about mind. I work in a secular work environment, and whenever you go for a leadership training program, I, I, I go every month for the leadership training program, and the course, they always talk about the mind, the influence, the power of mind. Even the medical world, the health sector has latched onto it. They talk about Paul already mentioned it, about the mindfulness. People, those who suffer with long-term conditions and illness, they recommend that you do the mindfulness because they believe that your mind has the power to heal you. Your mind has the power to cope things that can, you, medicine cannot help you to cope with. Your mind has the power to deal with chronic pains and things. But what does the Bible have to say anything about the mind? Oh, the Bible has a lot to say about mind. But the, the biblical uh, understanding of the Bible, uh, of the word mind, is very, very different. So this morning we're going to take a look at this, and I will, I will be as short as possible. People don't believe me when I say that, I'll be short. Especially those who are in our life group, they know. I like talking. I'll try my best. So I'll try to keep it to two hours. So, as I said, there's so much about mindfulness. Uh, but the Christian approach to mind is very different to what we see. For example, somehow, the world thinks as soon as you may mention the word mindfulness or meditation, they give you the picture of Buddhism. Someone sitting in a calm, serene environment, legs crossed, a lady, a very slim lady, leg crossed, uh, arms outstretched, and their wrists are resting on the knee, eyes closed, very calm and peaceful. That's the picture they give. They always talk about Buddhism, but Buddhism has nothing to do with mindfulness. It uh, probably has something to do with mindfulness, but let me rephrase it. Mindfulness and meditation did not come from Buddhism. Buddha did not invent it. Even before, before even ever Buddha was born, David King David talked about meditation in the Bible. That was about a thousand years before Buddha. So if you want to know the truth, stop listening to media. If you want to find out facts, stop watching telly. Do your own investigation because they always tell you something slightly altered or more altered. You don't get pure facts. It's very, very rarely you get it. Okay, so the transformation of your mind, the Bible talks about, let's read Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. This is what the Bible, sorry, I, I don't have any visuals behind me on the screen. Uh, the reason for that is because when I prepare the message, I keep altering it until the last minute. And that's why... I don't put it on thing, because if I had given it, by the time I get here in front of you, things would have changed. It'll be quite old. So I keep changing it. That's one of the reasons. That's my excuse anyway. 
Right, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Right. When a person becomes a Christian, God, the Bible says, he makes that person a new creation. But for some reason, some Christians are under this delusion, thinking that once I have been saved, once my sins are forgiven, I've been accepted, I'm a child of God, all I need to go do is regular church attendance, regularly I read my Bible, Regularly I pray the prayer, whether it's in the morning or in the afternoon, and I give my tithes and offerings, and I do my good deeds. That's it. That's what Christianity. Well, it's not. My sisters and brothers, if that's your understanding of Christianity, you have been fooled. Christianity is simple when it comes to becoming a child of God. There is absolutely nothing that you can do to make yourself a child of God. Because God has done everything for you. All you have to do is repent from your sin, acknowledge that you're a sinful, sinful person, that absolutely nothing within your power could make you a child of God, and therefore you surrender yourself to God and say, please forgive me, God, accept me as your child. That's all. God hears your prayer and makes you a child of God. But it becomes harder once you have become a child of God and then to continue to live as a child of God. That is a process. And that process involves mind. Yesterday, when, uh, when we were at home and um, our hairdresser came to cut the boys and Abby's hair, and then she said something. When she said something, I responded. I can't remember exactly what I said. I said something. When I said that, she turned around and she looked at me and she said, you are skeptical. And I turned around and I said, by nature, I am skeptical. I am a skeptic. I approach everything skeptically. And then she looked at me and she said, if you are so skeptical, how can you have a faith? And I turned around to respond. And then she knew as soon as I turned around what she was about to say. And she said, I apologize. She said, I know. Having a faith doesn't mean not using reasons or evidence. Even faith requires evidence and reason. And I said, I'm not going to answer you because you have already answered your question. So being Christian doesn't mean that we remove our brain and leave it behind when we go to the baptism tank and then just come out of it without a brain and then all we got is an empty skull. Some Christians behave like that. They think that once you become a Christian, you don't have to think anymore. You don't have to reason anymore. You don't have to use your mind anymore. But what does the Bible say? What did Jesus say about becoming, about loving God? Does anyone know Matthew chapter 22, 36 and 37, what did Jesus say? When we become a Christian, we are children of God. And then Jesus gave a commandment. This is what the commandment says. Who knows what the first commandment is? Well, there, were, there are ten commandments in the Old Testament. Jesus converted into two. What? Are the, what is the first commandment of the two? 
shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Oh, hello. What does that mean? We got to love God with all our mind. I love that song, by the way, this morning. I love you, Lord, with all my strength. And I wish the songwriter actually put this line in there as well. I love you with all my mind. Christians are not mindless people. We do have a mind. God actually requires us to love him with all our mind. What does that mean? That means loving God involves Thinking involves reasoning, involves logic. God is logical. He does sometimes think that's illogical. That's why we call them miracles, because it defies logic. But it involves mind. We need to use our mind when we love God. And that's why Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and another mistake we make there when we focus on that mind, we just pluck the second verse out of it. You cannot pluck the second word, verse out of that scripture. You, the second verse is linked to the first verse. What does the first verse say in Romans 12, 1? This is what it says. Therefore, I appeal to you, bro, bro, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, what Paul is doing, Paul is using the mind with the worship. What he's saying, your worship should involve your mind. We don't come here on Sunday, just our eyes closed, our hands up in there, mindlessly singing, chanting songs. That's what they do when you go into some Buddhist temples. You see these guys, they sit there, they're just doing, they call it mantra, or they call this chanting, and they're mindlessly saying the same thing again and again and again and again and again and again. Sometimes it goes on for hours and hours. The mind is not involved. It's just the same thing being repeated. Are we guilty of doing the same thing when we come to worship God? No. We need to know what we are talking about. It's singing and worshiping. It's not about the music. Sometimes the worship makes a mistake is that it is so caught up with the tune. It's so caught up with the melody. Oh, it's a beautiful melody. Oh, what does it say? Can I be a bit more controversial and critical? How often when you worship, I bow down before you, do you actually bow down? You're still standing there, your hands in your pocket. You're still saying to God, I bow down before you. Because your mind is not involved. You're just singing. I get criticized for saying that. What I am saying is that our mind should be involved in everything that we do. That's why Jesus says, love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Put your mind into it. Put your thoughts into it. And question what you do. Why do we do what do we do? Why do we have to come here every Sunday? Do you ever wonder... Why do we have to worship here? Do you ever wonder? Ask the question why. For me, come here on, mon on a Sunday to worship together, it's not about meeting with God. Yes, it is. But it's more than that. It's more about meeting with 
the rest of the body sharing with my sisters and brothers. I can worship God at home. I don't need to be with any one of you to worship God. That's the truth. You can say the same thing. You don't need me to worship God. You don't need the music. You don't need a worship leader to worship God. You can do it all by yourself in your own room. We need to involve our mind. Why do we do what we do? So, the Bible says we need to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. And therefore, Paul is saying, if you're going to worship God with all your mind, the way to do it, you need to involve your whole life. That's what it is. It's a continuous process. And Paul's saying, you need to sacrifice your body, your whole life. That is a worship. The true worship is not singing. The true worship is not about prophesying. The true worship is not about sharing few words. They are just part of it. The true worship, is Paul saying, is you live as a living sacrifice. That What is a sacrifice? Do you know, the Bible is a, book, a very alien book to the modern Western Christianity, to the Christians, or even to the Western culture. We don't understand what worship is, the sacrifice is. In the Old Testament, or in, in the days when the book was written, nobody was allowed, not just Jewish people, any religion, you study the religion, nobody is allowed to go to the temple without a sacrifice. You have to take a sacrifice with you. You have to take an offering with you. So what Paul is saying, if you love God, if you worship God, you need to present yourself as a sacrifice. And that sacrifice involves, you involve your mind so that that mind needs to be transformed. You see, our minds need to be transformed. It's, it's, it's not an automatic thing. When we become Christian, God doesn't change. God gives us a new life. He forgives us. He cleanses us from our sins. But God doesn't do the living everyday life for us. We have to do that. He doesn't take control of the mind. He has given it to us so that we renew it each day. So how do we renew our mind? That's the question. Well, Paul is saying first, this is what he's saying in verse chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. The first thing that we need to do, if we, are, if we are to love God with all our mind, if we are to worship God with our mind, the first thing we need to do is do not be conformed to this world. NIV says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. That's even better. There is a pattern Unfortunately, we live in a secular world. We work, we eat, we sleep. Our entire environment is controlled by the secular environment, okay? And a godless environment. So that has an influence in our thinking, how we think, how we behave. So what Paul is saying, when you are in that environment, do not be conformed to that. Do not follow that pattern. So there is the active work that we need to do. It's an undoing. We need to do an undoing every single day. 
without doing this undoing, it's difficult for us to live this Christian life, to have a Christian mind. It's very, very hard because you are bombarded all the time with all the ungodly things. Romans chapter 8, verse 7, this is what Paul said. He says in chapter 8, verse 7, Romans, For the mind that is set on the, on the flesh is a hostile to God. What does he say? The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile. In another translation, it says the enmity to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It's not just it does not submit. It just cannot submit. So if our mind bombarded from the more time you wake up in the morning till the time you go to sleep by the world and its system, by its pattern, when you try to do something that of God, what is your mind going to say to you? Mm-mm. No, 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 no. That's difficult. That's not going to happen. Mm, I don't want to do it. So Paul is saying the mind of the flesh or this mind of this world, the carnal mind is hostile. It's, it, it doesn't like it. It's always fighting back. It's always resisting what God is saying. And therefore, it's saying it cannot accept that is what God is saying. And he's saying in verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So if our mind is constantly bombarded with the things of this world, then it, 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 it cannot. Let me ask you a question. How about the programs that you watch on telly? I'm not going to be judgmental. I'm not going to point a finger at anybody. How about the programs that you watch on telly? How about the books that you read? How about the websites that you visit? Let me give you a little rule of thumb that I apply to myself. You ask yourself, if you're watching a program on telly, would you be comfortable of watching that if Jesus is sitting right next to you? The website that you're visiting, would you be comfortable if Jesus is right, sitting right next to you looking over your shoulder? The books that you're reading, would you think that Jesus will be comfortable reading that book with you? Sometimes I listen to the conversations of people and I'm appalled, even Christians. And I think that is not pleasing to God. That is not godly thinking. That's not godly mind. I'm not standing here and claiming to be holier than thou art. Please do not think that way. I have the same struggle as you all do. That is a rule of thumb that I apply to myself. A few weeks back, I brought, a, well, from a second-hand shop, I've got a DVD, uh, and I put it on to watch. It's nothing unclean before you start thinking in your head what it is. It's a science fiction movie. I like science fiction. So I was watching the science, science fiction movie, and the, some of the scenes in there are so graphic. And when I looked at it's only about 10 minutes into the movie, and when I saw the graphic, it's about aliens, okay? 
And when I saw the, some of the graphics, and I saw, in my spirit, I felt uncomfortable. There's nothing filthy, there's nothing vulgar, there's nothing obscene, none of that. But there was something in my spirit saying, what are you watching? I turned it off. I had this wrestle in my spirit. Dear brothers and sisters, what I'm saying is our thinking, if we, when we get that little alert, that alarm, that signal goes off, if we ignore it, you know what's going to happen? It's like your kitchen window. You're washing up your dishes, and the water splatters everywhere, and then your kitchen window gets all these little scum marks and dirt. You ignore it. You carry on doing it. You ignore it. What happens? Eventually, the visibility through your kitchen window is all marred. It's not very clear, right? But you are completely oblivious to it. Why? Because you have learned to live with it. And it's no longer it's an issue. It's just like a dog that sleeps in an anvil, in, in a workshop, in an uh, ironmonger's uh, workshop. When the dog first came in there, as soon as he started beating the iron, the dog would have woken up because of the sound. But as the years go by, it gets used to the sound, so you can sleep through that sound. That's what happens to our minds. When we get any ungodly thoughts coming, none of us can stop ungodly thoughts coming to us. Okay? Not, none of us have the control over that. You could be worshipping in the middle of the service, singing wonderful songs about the holiness of God, all of a sudden you get this thought out of nowhere. You say, where on earth this thought come to me? You have no control over it. But you have control to decide whether that's going to sit in your mind and start growing. That is something that we have control over. Do you know, this year, this year or last year, the plane Boeing 737, Ethiopian Airlines, went down with 157 people. Do you know, read about it in the news? Every single one got killed. I'm not an expert on planes. I like planes, but I'm not an expert. The air investigators went and they investigated it. And you know what they found, the initial investigation? There was a computer software, a software on the plane, which is set, it's an automatic system safety system. What it does, when a plane, I'm not an expert, I've read up about this, okay? So I'm telling you what I've read. The way the planes are set, operate, this is how the planes operate, because most of the planes are nowadays controlled by computers. So when a plane takes a steep, if the steep is more than the allowed amount, more than the 10%, and the system is set up in a way in order to stop the engine stalling to cause the plane's nose to dive down so that it can bring it back rather than going that way to bring it back to normal position. But with this Bo Boeing 737, this computer system, what it did, all of a sudden it started receiving signal and telling the plane, you're actually going up in a steep, uh, steep position. So the plane started to go to nose dive. And the pilots looked at it, there's nothing is wrong, everything is perfect, but it's still 
going downwards. The nose is taking a dive. So what they were doing, they're manually trying to override and pull the plane up. And the computer keeps saying, no, 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 no. You're too far in, on a speed, in, a, in the wrong position. So you need to go downwards. So there was this struggle going on between the computer and the pilots. So the pilots turned off the system and they managed to bring it back. But however, the system was set up in a way, even if you manually turn it off, few seconds or minutes later, it will override. So what happened is it's against North Dive. To cut a long story short, in the end, what happened was that the plane took a North Dive, came and hit the ground in a, such a forceful way, the board engines were found 10 meters below the ground. 10 meters. Every single one was killed. Do you know what was the problem? I'm not saying this, this is what the in, uh, uh, investigators say. They suspect because the software was keep telling them wrong things. That's exactly what happens to us. If we got the wrong software in here, in our mind, you could do all the Christian stuff you want. You can just fast, you can pray, you can stand on your head, you can tithe, and you can do all. But if you've got the wrong program running in your mind, it's going to override everything that you do and I do. And that's why Paul is saying, renew your mind through the Word of God. Because it's sharp, it's stronger than a double-edged sword. So if you want to bring down a stronghold, you have to use something that's more stronger than the stronghold. What is stronger than the stronghold in Scripture? What is the weapon? What is the only weapon that God has given us? If you read the book of Ephesians chapter 6, the whole armor of God, right? There's only one weapon is given. Everything else is to defend. Everything else is to protect. There's only one offensive weapon. What is that? sword of the spirit which is the word of God that's the only thing that we can attack anything with so and therefore our minds need to focus and meditate on the word of God in Psalm so how do we transform our minds then how many more minutes have I got Paul right the sec thank you the second point is how do we then do it let's read 2nd Corinthians chapter 10 Verse 4 and 5. Are you still with me? Otherwise, don't anyone to sleep. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. This is what it says. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So the only thing the devil will submit a surrender or afraid of is the word of God. It's not your opinion. It's not what you know. It's not what I know. You try everything, you are going to be defeated. When Satan tested, tempted Jesus, what did Jesus use to defeat Satan, the word of God. Every single time when Jesus responded to Satan, what did he say? It is written. It is written. 
it is written. If it's not word of God, it's just your opinion, my opinion. So the word of God has the power, Paul is saying that, it destroys arguments and every lofty opinion, any opinions that thinks that's higher than yours, the only weapon that can bring it down is the word of God. And it's also, and he goes on to say, and take every thought captive to Christ. So we need to bring every thought that comes into our mind, we need to cap, captive, make it captive. We need to chain it. We need to take under control. We need to prison that thought. Otherwise, that will take control of us. What you think is what you are. What I think is what I am. That's what the Bible says. So is a man as he thinks of himself. That applies to women as well. So what do we think? What your thoughts are like, what my thoughts are like when no one is watching. When I'm on my own, everyone's going to bed. Going back to the same thing I said earlier on. What my TV programs are like. Would Jesus be comfortable with them? Would Jesus be comfortable with the books that I read? Would Jesus be comfortable with the internet websites that I go to? If not, then, it's, then we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. I'm not here to condemn anybody. I'm here to get us to see what God wants us to do. Otherwise, what happened to 737 Ethiopian Airlines will happen to us. When Mao, Stalin, and Hitler, when they had thoughts that are not right, when they were not nipped in the bud, when no one has corrected them, when their thoughts were not taken captive, see what happened. They went on to destroy 200 million lives. You may say, I'm not going to kill 200 million. Yeah, probably you will not. You say, I'm, I'm not even going to kill one person. Probably you're right. But you have power to either destroy or use your life for the glory of God. I have known personally people, even Christians, they have not surrendered their mind to God. They have not surrendered God's word and they have destroyed their lives. God is never, ever going to come and by force stop you from what you're doing, what I'm doing. Have you ever wondered when the garden, in the Garden of Eden when Eve picked up that fruit and she ate that fruit and gave it to her husband, why didn't God just step in the moment she reached out and say, Oi! Don't touch it. He could have done it, couldn't he? Where was he God? He's almighty God. He's all-knowing God. He's all-powerful God. He knows everything. If he knew everything, if he was there, why didn't he stop them? God has given us a choice. He has given us a will that we can willfully choose that God will not override. And that will needs to be shaped by the word of God. If it's not shaped by the word of God, then it's going to be shaped by something else. And that will be what's out there in the world. You work 30, 35 hours, 40 hours, 15 hours, how many hours out there, and everything that practiced out there is not based on God's principle. It's a secular principle, and they will have impact on you. And when you come home, you turn that telly on, and they will come into your own house through the television, and they will start affecting your mind. And then you turn that off, and you pick up the book, and then they will speak to you through that book. And then you turn that off, and then you switch on your 
computer, or nowadays we don't switch on our computers, we've got it in our pocket all the time. We carry our computers nowadays in our pockets. Do you know, sometimes it blows my mind away. I take my son every Saturday to swimming. And I have willfully made a decision that the moment he starts swimming, my phone goes into my pocket. It doesn't come out until he finishes swimming. My eyes will be on him. I am there for a reason, and that reason is to make sure that I'm supporting him, I'm watching him. But the number of parents that I see, they all sit there in a row, mom and dad and all the sister and the sibling. They all got their phones, and that child is swimming. No one is watching that child. Everyone is on Facebook, even a 10-year-old. What happened to our society? Our mind is constantly, constantly, constantly bombarded with things that are not godly. So, and therefore, we have to take care of our minds. If we don't, our mind will take care of it. And whatever it's in our mind, that will arrive. Junk in, junk out. That's what they say. So, and therefore, we need to transform our minds. David said in Psalm one. Could someone read that for me while I get this table here? I'm trying to illustrate something here. Verse 2, Psalm 1, verse 2. Someone going to read that? Right, this is what it says. I'll start from verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He meditates on what? God's law, God's word. When? Day and night. So meditation, Buddha didn't invent, Buddha didn't come up with the idea of meditation, it's a biblical idea. This psalm was written about a thousand years before Buddha was even born. So David talks about meditation. Do you know the word for meditation here? What it means? It means to gaze upon something. To be taken over by something. It's to, in other words, it means to be absorbed by something. Is your mind absorbed by the word of God? Let me give you an illustration. Let's say that's your mind. Okay? And that's your environment. Or let's say that's the word of God. You put it in. It's absorbed. Right? So when trouble comes, when pressure squeezes you, when hardship comes, when you get squeezed, what do you get? You get what you put in. That's your mind. That's what you produce. So you go in again, you absorb your mind, and you fill up God's word. Pressure comes, difficulty comes, hardship comes. I'm causing health and safety issue here. I say that. So when you are squeezed, what happens? That's what comes out. Now, let's say you get an external influence. This is the world. It's philosophy. It's thinking. It's opinions. 
its reasoning. You're a nice sir. I'm sorry, those who are listening on the podcast or on the church website, you should have been here. If you have been here, you can see this, but you decided not to come, and therefore you're not going to get to see this. So now, this is the environment. This is your mind. This is what you're absorbing with your TV, with your books, with your internet, with your reading, whatever, what your conversation, anything you can think of. This is what you are absorbing. This is why you're meditating. You're not deliberately meditating, but that's happening to you without you realizing what happens when you get sick. See the color of it? This is what comes out of you. You are driving along in the morning. Like me, if you are dry, trying to time everything in the morning to drop the kids at school at certain time and then get to the office at certain time, and then someone cuts you off, they come on the left-hand side and then cuts in front of you and they just overtake, and your mind gets screwed. And you get out what you put in. Some of you might start speaking Hebrew blessings on them. That's what Paul is talking about. Well, that's what David is talking about. The man or the woman who meditates on the word of God day and night flourishes like a tree by the river. In season and out of season, he bears fruit. He does not wither its leaves. But anyone who is not meditating on the word of God, he says it's like chaff blown by the wind. So this morning, what I'm trying to say is our worship to God involves our mind. And that mind needs to be transformed. And if we are to transform that mind in a godly way, then we need to make sure that mind meditates on the Word of God. If we allow our mind to be absorbed by other things, because everything else around us is screaming for our attention, did you, did you like it? Not? You know, I like to go for walks in, uh, whenever it's possible in the morning, just to have a quiet time. Yesterday, I deliberately, you know, we live in pools, so I, yesterday when I went for a walk, I decided, I walked towards Baker, I decided to walk towards uh, Whitecliff on my left. Everything I looked at speaks to me about God's handiwork. I see the Brown Sea Islands. I could see the sea. I could see the sky. I could see all of this, and I think about God. And this morning, deliberately, I went towards my right, towards the pool too. And everything that I saw talked about man's work. Lovely boats, yachts, buildings. Ships, harbor, it talks about, about man's work. But we have a choice. What are we going to meditate on? Do I meditate? Do I absorb? Let, do I let my mind to be absorbed with the word of God? Or do I going to let my mind to be absorbed with something else? Opinions and people's ideas, philosophies and other thoughts? Then when we get squeaked, when trouble comes, when hardship comes, when our faith is tested, we're going to leak out what we put in. 
And finally, Paul, finishing, Paul, is, Paul is saying in Romans 12, verse 2, what happens when we transform our mind with the word of God? What does he say? We will know what God's perfect and pleasing will is. Very often people say, oh, I don't know what God's will is. I'm really struggling to know what God's will is. Well, you wouldn't really struggle to know what God's will is if you actually spend your time in training your mind in the word of God because you will know. I'll tell you why. From those who have been married for long will know this. You know, sometimes you find yourself in a situation, you just look at your wife or your husband, you know exactly what they're going to say. You don't have to ask them. Am I telling the truth or not? Dave, you know the exact words that's going to come out of Sharon's mouth when you find in a certain situation. You know, you don't have to ask Sharon. You all will make the decision knowing this is exactly what Sharon would be doing. I do the same. Sometimes I look at Abby. Oh, she does that very often than I do. Even before I make the decision, she will make the decision on behalf of me because she knows exactly what I would be doing. What words? How does that happen? Because you spent enough time with that person, getting to know that person, how they think, how they act, how they speak. You spent enough time, and therefore you know what to do. You know what run goes in their mind. So we can do the same with God. Now, how can we do that? It's only by spending the time absorbing our mind with his scripture. And that's what Paul is saying. Therefore, you need to renew your mind in the scripture. Transform your mind. Finally, before we finish, I ask you, dear brothers and sisters, always ask yourself when you find yourself, I do this and there are times when I fail. I'm not perfect. I like to be perfect. You ask my wife, she will tell you I'm a perfectionist. When I can't hit that mark, I give myself a hard time. My boss tells me that as well. My boss sometimes tells me, sometimes a good enough job is enough. That's all I expect from you, a good enough job. I know that I'm not perfect. But we need to ask ourselves, rather than using that excuse all the time to excuse everything that we ever do, what would Jesus be using here right now? Would Jesus do what I do? Or would Jesus be doing what I'm doing now? It's hard, but we need to train. Train our minds. If we train, we will reap the fruit. If we don't train our minds, our minds will be like a monkey. What do monkeys do? They just from, grow from one branch to another. They just hop. They just swing from one to another. Do you ever wonder your thoughts just swinging from one to another all the time? I don't know exactly how many thoughts we get in a day, but we do. Probably thousands of thoughts. But we need to take them captive. The only way is possible by training it in the Word of God. Let's pray. I'm not going to ask anyone to put your hands up and say, oh, if you've got issues controlling your mind, or if you've got issues with the internet, if you've got issues with 
TV program. I'm not going to ask you. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. But I'm going to ask you, you take it to God. Say, God, I have had issues with this. I find it difficult. Sometimes addictions is, addiction is, I understand addiction is a diff, difficult thing to overcome. But God isn't asking you to be it in your own strength. He's asking you to come to him, to come to his scripture, to his word, apply his word. He will help you. Father God, we come to you this morning. For we are made of clay, that we are weak. You know that, Lord. But at the same time, we know what the Holy Spirit is capable of doing in and through us and through our minds. So we pray, Father, that this morning you would help us renew our minds, Lord, through your word. Not our own opinion, not the things that we hear from others, not the things that we see on the telly or read on the newspaper. But, Lord, we pray that you would help us to train our minds in your scripture so that we are able to discern what is good and what is perfect, what is pleasing to you, so that our lives can be a living sacrifice to you, so that we can worship you with all our minds, O oh Lord. We commit this to you. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you.